Alright, when I began this series, I gave a little disclaimer, not really a disclaimer, just a little explanation. I want to do that again because some people missed the first one and, and, uh, uh just so you know the intent of this, of this series. And first of all, uh, this is not a evaluation of the charismatic movement or the Pentecostal churches. They are, they are clearly those in applications of Scripture, doctrinally, they are sound when it comes to who Jesus is and salvation and those kind of things. So uh, I just want to say that to you, too. They're clearly our brothers and sisters in Christ, although we may see things a little bit differently in, a, in application. Um, this that I want to say to you is be careful as we look at these things of anecdotal, uh, what I want to say, happenings, things that happen in your life. Maybe you've seen something and... And uh, uh, so, I, I always tell people, I've seen some guy make the Statue of Liberty disappear. I've seen elephants disappear. I've seen jet planes disappear and stuff. Did they disappear? No, but my eyes told me they did. If someone is intending to deceive, they're certainly going to do their best to deceive you. Please understand that. Uh, but even with that in mind, and I have great questions after several after the service last Sunday night, one of the questions I just want to deal with is this matter of, of uh, do we not believe in or do we believe in divine healing? And my answer would be, my, my answer is yes, we believe in divine healing. We, got, we believe God can heal. God is able to do anything. And the Bible's filled with examples of that. The problem I have with, is with so-called divine healers and those who purport themselves to be such. Because it is not the power of the man or the lady who's doing it. It's the power of God. So listen very carefully. If, if they take credit for it in any way, shape, or form, something's wrong there. Okay? Then finally, let me just say this. I don't bring up these names because I dislike any of these people. But I think God requires us to do what the Scripture says. Examine all things. Hold on to that which is good. Test all things. And if it, if, it, if it measures up to the truth of Scripture, we, we as a church can have no problem with it. Okay? But if it doesn't measure up and it's in the body of Christ, not just our local fellowship, but the body of Christ, we need to speak to it. The other thing it tells us to do is that we are to expose the false prophets. Well, how do you do that? Except that you evaluate what they teach. Again, it's not whether you like their ministry, whether you like their approach, or how they look, or how they dress, or all those things. Listen to what they say. That's why what I give you as we go through this are direct quotes from these people. The same way I did when we went through the, the non-Christian religious groups. I, gave you, I didn't give you quotes of what people said about Islam or quotes about what people said about Buddhism or, or all the things. I gave you direct quotes from them. Let their own words reveal who they are. The same thing here. Okay, so just kind of give you an idea of where we're going through on this. You may get to the end and say, well, you know, Tony is full of baloney. And here's what I want you to know. You would not be the first person that said that. You know, all I can do is share with you what I believe God's laid upon my heart. So, tonight, you, in, the, in, the, in this series, and what we're going to look at is what is called the little God doctrine of the word faith movement. The little God doctrine. Basically said this way, that you are... Little gods. You're not merely human, but you're little gods. One of them actually says, and maybe we'll read it tonight, I'm not sure if it's in my quotes, but one of them says, God told him that we are just as much an incarnation as Jesus Christ was. Do you see any blasphemy in that? I hope that you do. Okay. Yet, many of these, again, are popular 
teachers and preachers that, that even some of our evangelical people go to because I don't know why we go to them. I don't know why we run after personalities. It, it, it's really disturbing to me that the church has moved to a place where we're personality-driven. We're not, not truth-driven. We're personality-driven. We find somebody we like. We follow them. We, and they, they can tell you the opposite of truth, and, and we slobber all over them and follow them wherever they go. It ought not to be that way. In the book of Corinthians, it, it teaches us that, you know, when the church gathers together, let one or two speak at the most. And then it says this, and then let everyone judge. It's not, do you judge, do you like how long they talked? How loud they talked? How soft they talked? Do you like the way they wore their hair? Do you like the suit that they wore? Do you like the, the haircut? I mean, the, the, whether they had facial hair or not facial hair? Let them judge what? Let them judge what was said. And how do you judge what is said? What is the unchangeable criteria by which we judge all truths? The Word of God. If it stands up, again, we have no problem with it. If it does not stand up, we should have every problem with it. So, as we think about man, and there's so many verses I could have taken to you, but Psalm 8 is just a wonderful uh, passage. I want to just follow along as I read it, starting in verse 1. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you have, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? You ever thought about that? God, why do you care about me? Isn't it amazing that he does though? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. What a wonderful passage. Giving glory to who? To who? I glory to man. Don't, don't jump down there and say, well, see, man, God has glorified man above everything else. No, God does not share his glory with anybody. Everybody got that? God does not share his glory with anybody. You and I may experience his glory, and we do because of what he's done for us through his son Jesus Christ, but he does not share his glory with anybody. The only name that is to be glorified is the name of God. The only name to be exalted is the name of God. No man, no personality, no people are to be exalted in the body of Christ. Only the name of Jesus is to be exalted. And we are to what? We are to lift up our own selves. We are to lift up our abilities, our personalities, our, our passions, and all men will be drawn to us. Isn't that what the scripture says? No, what's the scripture say? What's it say? We are to, and Jesus said, and if I be lifted up. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, what's he say? I will draw all men unto myself. When Jesus is exalted, when Jesus is lifted up, people are drawn to him. Which is as it should be. Because who in here can benefit anybody else eternally? I mean, if people come after you or after me, what can we do for them? The answer is nothing. But we lift up Jesus. We lift up God. He's able to, to like Paul said, Exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ever ask or imagine. That's what God's able to do. But unfortunately, we have within within the, the church 
the teaching of what I would call the little God. And I broke it down to four different things here in our outline today. Uh, and, and I've tied your, your quotes to each one of these things. So let's break this down. And then I'm going to end up looking again at, at Psalm chapter 8. What does the Bible say about man? And where do we stand in all of this? Uh, and again, we could have used a lot of different scriptures, but I chose Psalm chapter 8. The first, the first breakdown here is within many of the word faith teachers would teach what, is, what, what I categorize and actually what Hank Hanegraaff actually categorized as the deification of man. What does deification mean? The exaltation, the equaling, equaling people with God. Or putting man in the, in some, some terminology, in God class. Okay? We know a lot about, I hope you know a lot about God. Omniscient, omnipresent, okay, omnipotent, immutable, he never changes. These are the attributes that belong to God. They don't belong to us. Anybody here omniscient? You know everything? Okay. Anybody here think they're omniscient? Okay. All powerful? Of course not. How about immutable? Ever changed your mind? Well, you just blew that one then. Okay. You ever moved to a place where you realized something you had done previously was wrong, so you had to correct it? Then you just blew the immutability. You've changed. Not so with God. And those attributes only belong to God. So we're going to be very careful of groups that would come along and deify man. That is, raise man up into a place equal or co-equal with God. And misuse scriptures like you are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. So that's, that, that makes you equal with him. Or, or in the book of Psalms where, where, where the psalm says, Are you not little gods? And they'll use that passage. By the way, Jesus even quotes that passage in the Gospels. He says, are you not little gods? That term God there has nothing to do with deity at all. It actually has to do with judges. which Those who are supposed to be spiritually mature and making decisions. But it has nothing whatsoever to do with deity. Because if it did, you'd, you'd, even Jesus would be involved in idolatry. And actually blasphemy, which of course is not possible. When you read things, uh, things in context, what you find out is the term there, and, and back, by the way, when you read that in Psalms, actually what he's talking about, he's actually, I know you don't, maybe some of you don't believe that Jesus, that God sometimes can actually be sarcastic in the sense of saying something to make someone be aware of what they're doing that's incorrect. Yet that's exactly what he does there in, in Psalms. You th- the point there is, you think you're so wise, you think you've made all these decisions, you think you're little gods. Are you not little gods? It's one of those questions that the answer is, of course they're not gods. But they view themselves in that way. So, the deification of men, that is, faith teachers assert that men are little gods and that we are in the God class. Well, look at some of the quotations that I've given you here. Uh, and there, are there any more in the back there? If we run out of those? Okay. You might have to look on with somebody. So let me just, let me just read. The first one comes from a man by the name of Miles Monroe. I don't know if you ever heard of Miles Monroe. Here's what he says. I'm going to say it again. Prayer is man, listen to what he says. Prayer is man given authority, given God authority or God license to interfere in the affairs of man. In fact, God, 
And here's what he said. He said, he said, I'm going to take a deep breath because some of you religious people aren't going to understand me. You see, that, that's always the, that's always the jab. You question them, you're just one of those religious deadheads. Some of you religious people aren't even going to understand me. Are you ready? God cannot do anything in earth without humans' permission. That's such an incredibly bad statement. But again, you have people that, hundreds of thousands, millions that watch these broadcasts and, oh, we love Miles Monroe. He's a great teacher. He's not a great teacher. Sorry. Look at what he says. God has to, God receives his authority from you, from me. How many in here have enough trouble making decisions for yourself? Okay, God, wait till I give you the authority to do what you're about to do. God can do nothing in the earth realm except that he gets permission from mankind? Can I, can I, can I tell you something? If that were the case, every person in this building here tonight would be lost and without hope. If God can do nothing except with permission from mankind, none of us could possibly be saved. Because it's not you and I who made the decision that we're going to be saved. It wasn't you and I that made the decision we were going to come to Christ. It was the Holy Spirit who touched our hearts and convicted us and brought us to that place apart from ourselves. No man seeks God is what the Scripture says. No man seeks God. So if God, if God cannot do anything in the earth realm except that man give him permission to do so, nobody could possibly be saved. Do you understand the implication of what he's saying right here? No man could be saved. With faith, we talked about this last week. With faith, God is always the first mover. Man is never the first mover. Biblical faith, God is always the first mover. And biblical faith is our response to when God moves in our life. That's biblical faith. Okay? We read on. This one from Kenneth Hagin. And here's what he said. Man was created on terms of equality with God. I mean, that should shut you down right there. Equality with God. And he could stand in God's presence without any consciousness of inferiority. God has made us as much like himself as possible. He has made us in the same class of being as he is himself. Man lived in the, in the realm of God. He lived on terms equal with God. The believer is called Christ. That's who we are. We're Christ. I mean... Without explanation, can you see this? Do you understand this? This, this is blasphemy. And people amen this, and people follow this, and people buy his books, and his books are in our Christian bookstores. Now, I'm not a book burner, but I am a book sorter. And when I sort books out of our, out of our library, because our librarian will say, Pastor, would you look at this? Then the other thing I don't do is I don't make them books available to somebody else. If I'm going to throw, if I don't want, if they're not good enough for our people, I'm not going to put them out there, oh, here, what, would you like this book? I remember many years ago when, when we were in school and after I'd served in the military and everybody goes over to Japan in the military, uh, you got to get the, the stereo equipment. That's when they had the great turntables, the pioneer turntables, and the Bose speakers, and all these kind of things. And that's the one thing you got to get if you're serving the military over in the Far East. You got to pick those things. So I picked them up, and of course I'm a child of the 70s. 
I know you probably didn't know that, but I'm a child of the 70s. And, and that means I like 70s music. I have a daughter that's 20, what is she? 28? 27? Almost 28. Okay. Sorry, hon. Okay. Now, she also was born out of time. She's a child of the 70s when it comes to music. She likes 70s music just like her dad. You know, if you ever notice when she's at church, she's always sitting by me. There's a reason. Okay. So, I had the Beatles' first album. I had a full assortment of the Beatles' album. I like the Beatles. I still like the Beatles. Okay. I had most of the Bee Gees. I know some of you don't care for the Bee Gees, but I like the Bee Gees. And, and, and I certainly had, I certainly had uh, uh, the Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Anyways, I had all those things because they had to play on my nice stereo. My records were so pristine that I would not let anybody else put their record on my record player. It was, it was ba- remember the balancing thing and all that stuff? Don't touch my record player. And I'm not loaning any of my records to you. Okay, anyway. We get into to, to school. I'm at, at the William Baptist University, Stephen and Michigan, and God just convicted my heart one day. Get rid of those things. But Lord, it's the Beatles' first album. <laughs> you know, get rid of those things. And, and, and I'm not saying anybody has to get rid of the stuff. I just that's what God laid on my heart. And so I we had a garage sale. I think it was a student led thing. And I and I said Teresa, I need to put these in the garage sale. We put them in a the garage sale. The Beatles' first album. And I wasn't going to put anything less than a, a good price on that. So I'm standing there, and most of the day, nobody touches any of my albums. I dropped the prices. I'm crying inside. The Beatles' first album for under $5? Are you crazy? I drop all these things down. I get to the plate. Nobody the whole day buys an album. And i got to tell you, it's one of the first times I really felt like God really just, other than convicting me to, to remove those from my, my, my music library, but even spoke to my heart and said this. said, Tony, what would make you think that if I don't want you to have them, that I'd want somebody else to have them? Okay, Lord. <laughs> That's what I did. I threw them away. Okay. The Beatles, I know, the Beatles first album. So, and here we are 30 years after, and I'm still, the Beatles' first album? I saw something on Pawn Shop. If I'd have done that and taken it to Pawn Shop, I could at least make good money on it right now. But anyway, when we talk about truth, we've got to clear these false things out of our lives. But don't clear them out of your life in the way that you hand them to somebody else. These books are in our Christian bookstores. These teachings are out there. They're on what's called Christian TV. And certainly you can turn on some Christian TV, even TBN, and you can pick up some good teaching on there at times. But you can have one good program with a Charles Stanley or, a, or David Jeremiah or, or some old tapes of Brother Adrian Rogers or some, something like that. And, and, but the next guy that rolls around is one of these guys. Discernment, folks. Well, let's go on. The next quote. Kenneth Copeland. That's not Kenneth Hagin. It's Kenneth Copeland. Here's what he said. You, you, you are, you are, you're all God. You're all God. That means you, I'm all God. Every part of me is God is what he's saying there. Not you all are God, but you're all God. You don't have a God living in you. You are one. 
When I read the, in, in the Bible where God tells Moses, I am, I say, yeah, I am too. The last one. A guy by the name of Morris Cirillo. The whole purpose of God was to reproduce himself. You're not looking at Morris Cirillo. You're looking at God. You're looking at Jesus. These are incredible statements. And so the first point here you have to listen is be very careful of those who would deify man. That is, exalt man to a place. You're, born, you're a born-again Christian. Praise God. The Holy Spirit indwells You are the temple of God. And God himself indwells you. He did not turn you into himself. And even when you leave this world and you go to heaven, it's not that you become a God in heaven. You are the man, the created being, who, who has the privilege because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and, and his, his work in your life to spend eternity with your creator who is God. And who is the only God that there is. Alright, deification of man. The second thing. I'm going to get through it tonight. The second thing is, well, if you deify man, the progression, the next thing would be the demotion of God. If I deify man and I I compare man to God, because I look at it, y'all, and y'all aren't God. That's what I'm going to tell you. But I look at someone in the mirror every day and I say, there is no way you're God. But if you, if you convince yourself that man is some kind of a God, then the next step of progression would have to be, in order to do that for man, you'd have to demote God. In other words, you'd have to bring God down. So the demotion of God is the second thing. Word faith teachers assert that God is not sovereign. And that, that God is dependent upon man. I gotta say something here from a biblical perspective. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. He's not dependent upon what I pray, how I pray, when I pray, and how often I pray, or how hard I pray. He's not dependent upon my praise. He's not dependent upon my worship. He's not dependent on my service. He's not dependent on my talent. He's not dependent upon me at all. You say, wait a minute. God said that he needs man to share his gospel. That's not what he said at all. He didn't say that he needs man to share his gospel. Remember what Jesus said on on what we call Palm Sunday? He said, if the people do not cry out, the rocks themselves will cry out. Remember a a, a man by the name of Balaam in the Old Testament? God used a donkey to speak to him. God uses donkeys all the time. Right? (laughs) And don't use that bad term for him. Okay? When we begin to believe that God needs us at all, then we we have a man-centered faith. It's not that God needs us. It's that God has privileged us to join Him in what He's doing. It's God who does everything. And He says, Tony, would you like to join me in this? Would you like to be blessed? Would you like to, for me to use you to bless someone else's life, to encourage somebody to share the faith with? And I could say, no, Lord, I don't. He says, I'll get it done. That's what God does. The motion of God that puts God dependent upon man. Let me let me look at some of these quotes with you here. Uh, when when you ask God what He wants, and this by the way, this is Rod, a man by the name of Rod Parsley in Ohio. He has a huge church. Okay, when you ask God what He wants, He only tells you one time in the whole 
1,166 pages of your Bible. I don't know how many pages your Bible has. I don't know where he got I guess that's what his Bible has, 1,166. It could be the Rod Parsley Faith Bible. I don't know. But he only tells you one time. Here is what I want. Ask me. What, why does he say that? Because, this is it. He only asks you one time. Ask me. Why would God say ask me? And here's his answer to it. Because he can't do it on his own. He can't get what he wants on his own because he has placed you in authority on the earth. Incredible. Even the Great Commission contradicts this. What did Jesus say? All authority has been given to who? Me. Every Christian, right? That's not what he says at all. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to who? To Christ. Therefore, you go and make disciples. He didn't say, I'm going to give you all authority. Well, they would use Psalm chapter 8 here, where I just read to you, what does it say here in, 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 in verse 6, that, that you have given him dominion over the works of your hand. What's that word speak of? That God has made us stewards over creation. Over the animal kingdom. Over the earth. And he intends for us to be good stewards. It doesn't mean we have authority over God in these things. It's that God has chosen to use mankind to fulfill his purpose here on the earth. Well, read on. Man, again, Kenneth Copeland here says, God is very much like you and me. Now, let's talk about how you could demote God. Now, think about this. God is very much like you and me. A being that stands around 6'2 or 6'3. Do you understand I'm taller than God? I'm 6'4". Well, I was, I started shrinking. 6'2 or 6'3. Weighs somewhere in the neighborhood of a couple hundred pounds. A little better. And has a hand span of nine inches across. Now, if you were to say, Pastor, where does he get that from? I'd say... I have no idea. You see the demotion of God here? Think about this. We're no longer creating the image of God. They're creating God in the image of man now. God, are 6'2 or 6'3, a couple hundred pounds at a nine-inch hand span? Which is, by the way, it's, I think it's smaller than Julius Irving's hand span. Certainly, certainly Connie Hawkins. But there's a name some of you might remember. Okay. All right. Third one. This is this is Benny Hinn. Here's what he says. He says, "Man, I feel revelation knowledge already coming on me here. Lift your hand. Something new is going to happen here today. That ought to be your antenna going up." I just felt it when I when I walked down here. Holy Spirit. Tell, take over, I, there's a misprint there, take over in the name of Jesus. God the Father, ladies and gentlemen, is a person. He's a triune being himself, separate from the Son and the Holy Ghost. Say, what did you say? Hear, hear, uh, excuse me, hear it, hear it, hear it. Again, if he yells loud enough, it gives authority. God the Father is a person. God the Son is a person. God the Holy Spirit is a person. But each one of them is a triune being by himself. 
If I could shock you, and maybe I should, there is nine of them. Huh? What did you say? Well, let me explain. God the Father, ladies and gentlemen, is a person with his own personal spirit and with his own personal soul and his own personal soul body or spirit body. You say, huh? I never heard that. Well, you think you're in church? This church to hear, uh, you think you're in church, this church to hear things you've heard for the last 50 years? You can't argue with the word, can you? It's all in the word. I guarantee you, in a, in a, at the thousands, if not tens of thousands, heard them never asked the question you just asked, which is the crucial question. Can you imagine? It's not a trinity. There are nine of them. All right. Demotion of God. We have the deification of man. We have the demotion of God. We move on to the next thing. There's another being that we have to deal with here in our Bibles, and that's a, a being called Satan. And not only, according to some of their theology, is man deified, but Satan is deified. In a sense that Satan has sovereignty now over God in certain areas. Word faith teachers assert that Satan also has moved to the place of God, and that Satan is the sovereign of the world. Basically, I'll put it like this. Satan tricked God by deceiving man. Man bought into it. God had given man authority over the earth. So Satan took the contract that God had with, from man, from man, and now Satan holds a contract in God's face, and, and Satan can demand God to do certain things because Satan now is the God of this world. Let me let me get let's a couple. I just did a couple quotes here. There's there's tons of them. There really are. You can't believe how many there are. God, here's what they say about Satan's authority now. God's, God is on the outside looking in. He doesn't have any legal entry into the earth. The thing, the thing don't belong to him. You see how sassy the devil was in the presence of God in the book of Job? God says, where have you been? Well, then any of God's business. I don't know. I, I, never mind. i got to keep reading before I explode, my head explodes. He, Satan, didn't even have to answer it if he didn't want to. God didn't argue with him a bit. You see, this is the position that God has been in. Might, been in. Might say, well, if God's running things, he's doing a lousy job of it. He hadn't been running them except when he's got, when, when he's just got you. Boy, this is bad. I can't, I can't do his English, so I'm sorry. Huh? When he's got, you know, a little bit of a chance. Oh yeah, thank you. When he's got, you know, a little bit of a chance. Kenneth Copeland. So God can't do anything because Satan. Yeah. I could, she would have a field day if I sent them to this, this, this thing. So these are direct quotes, so anything you see in them are quotes that they've said, not my bad English. I have my own work with that. Okay, second, second quote. That the Bible says that God gave this earth to the sons of men. And when Adam turned and gave that dominion to Satan, look where it left God. It left him on the outside looking in. He had no legal right to do anything about it, did he? He, he had injected himself illegally into the earth. Well, what Satan had intended for himself. 
I'm going to say it again. He had injected himself illegally in the earth. What, what Satan had intended for him to do was to fall for it. And again, Satan deceived God. Pull off an illegal act and turn the light off in God. And subordinate, listen, listen, it's crazy. And subordinate God to himself. To who? To Satan. He intended to get God into such a trap that God couldn't get out. Kenneth Copeland. If you have any question about how horrible, how false, how demonic these teachings are, these are the doctrines of demons that Paul warned about within the body of Christ. Deification of man. Demotion of God. Deification of Satan. Well, there's one more. And that would be the demotion of Jesus himself. Demotion of Christ. Word faith teachers assert that Christ was a mere mortal when he was here on the earth. You got a problem with that? Anybody have any problem with believing it? Let me ask you this. Was, God a, was Jesus a mortal when he was here on earth? Yes, he was. Know your theology. Jesus was fully God and fully man. But to say that he was a mere mortal is to dismiss his deity. There was never, ever a time that Jesus was not and is not who he fully is. The quote, the Spirit of God, this is Kenneth Copeland again. The Spirit of God spoke to me and he said, Son, realize this. This is going to blow your mind, church. Realize this. Now, follow me in this and don't let your tradition trip you up. (laughs) Key words. When they call you religious, when they call you Pharisees, when they say your tradition, know they're about to tell you something you will not find in the Bible. Here's what they said. Don't let your tradition trip you up. He said, think this way. And the he there, by the way, if you read the whole, the whole scenario, is God. The Holy Spirit is speaking to Kenneth Copeland right now. It's what he's claiming, that he speaks to him. And so he says, God said to him, think this way. A twice-born man whips Satan in his, home, in his own domain. You know who he's saying is a twice-born man. There's a, whole, there's a whole thing here. He's talking about Jesus. Because, and we'll see this as we move ahead... We talk about salvation. They teach that Jesus was actually born again in hell. That Jesus is the first born again man. I've got to tell you, Jesus did not need to be born again. And this twice born man garbage is declaring that Jesus had to be born again. Only, only someone who needs to be born again is twice born. Do you understand that? You are twice born. That's what Jesus spoke about to Nicodemus in the third chapter of John. The need to be born again for humans. So here's what they say. Twice born man whipped Satan in his own domain. And I threw my Bible down like that. I said, what? He said, a born again man defeated Satan. The firstborn of many brethren defeated him. By the way, we'll deal with that because there is a verse that talks about Jesus being the firstborn of the dead, but not the firstborn again. He said, you are, God apparently said to him, you are the very image, the very copy of that one. 
I said, well, now you don't mean it. You could not dare mean that I could have done the same thing. He said, or God said to him, oh yeah, if you had the knowledge of the Word of God, the Word of God that He did, you could have done the same thing because you're a reborn man too. You see the demotion of Christ? Anyone who had the word of knowledge that he had could do the same thing he did. This is, Copeland's the same man who said that God told him one time that he was just as much an incarnation as Jesus Christ was. Next quote. Last quote by a man by the name of Creflo Dollar. By the way, there's a progression here. I just want you to get this. Uh, Kenyon was the spiritual father, a man by the name of Kenyon was the spiritual father of Kenneth Hagin that I've quoted. Kenneth Hagin was the spiritual father of Kenneth Copeland. In other words, these are the people that nurtured in him. Kenneth Copeland is the spiritual father of Creflo Dollar. So there's a tie into all this and stuff. All right? Is that his real name or just a I have no idea. That's what he goes by, Creflo Dollar. I never, you know, I don't know. It's an interesting name, isn't it? Here's what he said. Here's what I want you to get here. If Jesus came as God, then why did God have to anoint him? If Jesus, see, God's already been anointed. If Jesus came as God, then why did God have to anoint him? Jesus came as a man. That's why it was legal to anoint him. God doesn't need anointing. He is anointing. Jesus came as a man, and at age 30, God is now ready to demonstrate to us and to give us an example of what a man with anointing can do. You say, well, how's that demonic? Well, what he's saying is unless Jesus had the the anointing of God, Jesus could not do what he did. Somehow he was limited as a man. I've actually had a man in a Baptist church tell me that Jesus didn't even know he was the Son of God until he was baptized. Really? Really? Creflo Dollar again. Jesus did not come as God. He came as a man. He did not, listen to, he did not come perfect. Perfect in the sense that he didn't need to be added to. In other words, he, Jesus was not complete in and himself. Something had to happen in order for him to be complete. All right. I got a couple minutes. Let's break this down. You have the quotes. If you want to, you can go do research. You can find many, many more quotes. Should be enough there for you. I've given you the reference sites. You certainly can look at them. What you see, the, the deification of man, the demotion of God, the deification of Satan, the demotion of Christ. What does the Bible teach us? And we can spend, i got a whole sermon on, sermons on this, but let me break it down to you very, very quickly what he teaches here in Psalm chapter, chapter 8. He begins that wonderful psalm and he ends that wonderful psalm by saying what? Oh Lord, our Lord, how what? Is your, how excellent is your name in all the earth? He begins the psalm and he ends the psalm by declaring how wonderful, how excellent, how majestic, how glorious, how holy, how righteous, how everything God is. In other words, the psalmist begins the psalm not by demoting God, by exalt, but by exalting the name of God. And you know what? Every time I try to exalt the name of God, what I realize? That's how I'm just so unable to do it. My words fail me. My heart fails. I want, to, I want to tell God how great He is, yet I know I'm inadequate to do it. 
Be careful of any theology that drags God down to the place of man. And the psalmist reminds us, God, your name is excellent. Your name is perfect. You're holy. You're righteous. You're above everything. God, we sing the little phrase, there is none like you. There is none like you. You are the creator of everything that is. And that's the second thing that Psalm, the psalmist reminds us here. He said, he said, he reminds us that man is a created being. That man is not God. What's he say here? You made man. God, you made man. You're the creator. You, you're the one that put man together. And what's it go on to say? He says, and when you made him, didn't say you made him into a God like yourself. It says you actually made him a little lower than the angels. We're not in the God class. We're not in the angelic class. We are a special creation of God called mankind. And we were created. Listen, it's very simple. We were created for the glory of God. That's why we are. I mean, in one sentence, that's it. We exist for the glory of God. Not for self-glorification, not for any other reason, but to glorify God. And you know what that word glorify means? Let me break that to you. It means to make known. That's what it means. It just says to make known. I exist to make God known. That's why I am. That's why you are. The psalmist reminds that God is above all things. His name is excellent above all names. God, the psalmist reminds that, that we are created by God. We're not gods. We're created by God. And then the final thing. Look at verse 6 with me. He says, And you made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Now, I want you to draw this, I want you to see this. You made him to have dominion or authority over the works of your hands. You have, you have put all things under his feet. Who's the emphasis here? It's not man. It's God. Any authority that man has, any position that man is given, is given by God. And it's not given by God by saying, here. See, we're not Christian deists, are we? God didn't say, here, Dave, you do it. I'm taking my hands off. We're not deists. And we certainly don't move to a place where where God says, you know what? I got fooled by Satan. And since I got fooled by Satan, I, I gave you the deed to everything, but you got fooled by Satan, and I got caught in this illegal contract with you, and Satan took the contract from your hand, and now I'm subservient. It's just nuts. God is sovereign. Amen? There's never time that God has lost that sovereignty. Man is a creation of God. A special creation of God. And God has put a place for man to be. But there is never, ever a time that God intends for His people to be outside the umbrella of His authority, of His Lordship, of His power, of His presence, or His purpose. That's why He made us. What I share with you tonight are crucial doctrines. Why are these crucial? Very important. If you share the Christ described by these word faith teachers with somebody and say, if you receive Jesus, you'll have salvation. Who have they put their trust in? 
a powerless Jesus? A powerless God? Who answers to Satan and who answers to men? What kind of, that God cannot save anybody. You understand how devastating this theology, this bad theology is? If you demote Christ to being a mere man, then he's no longer a savior. If you demote God where he loses his sovereignty and he answers to man and he even answers to the devil, then how can you believe that he has the power or the authority to save your soul for eternity? This is huge. Because they end up presenting a Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And remember we went to the non-Christian faith and one of them was the Mormon church. The Mormon church will tell you that they're the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As we went through their own teaching, you found out that the Jesus that they believe in is not the Jesus of the Bible. By their own words, it's not the Jesus. They use the name Jesus, but he's not the Jesus of the Bible. So the point is you put your faith in their Jesus and you put your faith in a false Jesus. Islam believes in Jesus or Isa. But their belief in Jesus or Esau is not the biblical one. So if you put your faith in their Jesus, he can't save you. The Jesus of these word faith teachers is not the Jesus of the Bible. So be very careful when you watch them on TV and all these people respond and say, we're going to receive Jesus. Well, there's a huge question in my mind. Which Jesus are you receiving? Because there's only one Jesus that can save there's only one name. Remember, biblically, the name speaks of an identity. It's not just merely the name Jesus. It's the one who is Jesus, the Christ. There's only one who can give salvation. What we've read tonight is not the Jesus of the Bible. It ought to be very troubling to you. So, stay in the Word. Stay aware. Walk in biblical discernment in these days. Because it's go- Listen, I'm going to just tell you, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And more people will run after this than will want to receive the truth. Just the way it is. Just the way it's always been. Ken. Yes. That's the point. All of you learn. All of you can know the truth. I tell you, I've told you this since I've been your pastor. You check out even what I say. Don't just say, well, our pastor said this. That's not why you believe something. You believe something because the Bible says so. Remember, it's not the man that validates the message. And too many people, that's a personality-driven thing. So-and-so said it, so it must be true. No, it's not the man that validates the message. It's the message that validates the man. And you know what the message is. So church, we need to get our heads out of the sand and stop believing and receiving everything just because somebody who calls himself a preacher, who has a following, who has a TV show, who wrote books that are in our Christian bookstore, that's you know whose book probably wouldn't be in many of our Christian bookstores if he lied today? The Apostle Paul. Yeah. Nobody liked him. I doubt Jesus would be at a book signing. I doubt he would wait for the cameras and the lights to come up in order to do what he came to do. 
He was out there among the people, as we should be, sharing the love of the Father. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for giving us truth. Father, we don't want to be a people who are tossed by every wind of doctrine that comes along. And Father, we see that there is a great spiritual battle that's going on. That battle is over truth. And so, Father, grow us up in your truth. And let us live by the power of your Holy Spirit. And let us not be ashamed to share what we know to be true. Thank you for your church. Thank you for those who have been faithful through all the years, the decades, the centuries, that we could be here and we still have your word. We still can base our lives upon that truth. Let us be your church this week as we leave this building here tonight. And may we glorify you as that's the reason you created us. In Jesus' name, amen.